Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever wondered how inbred the Habsburgs really were? What women in the past used for birth control? Or what Queen Victoria's nine children got up to? On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ plus royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. Join me every Tuesday for History Tea Time, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries, of curiosities, of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So we were down at the tattoo shop where we're going to be doing our next live looped show from our You Choose Our Tattoos show. And uh, we were talking with Autumn, who's the proprietor there. Mm-hmm. And this tattoo shop is in a building that was built in 1860. And she has some stories to tell. She really does. It seems as though there might be some... Um Creaky floorboards and uh, squeaky doors and such. Yeah, I think it's a lot more than that. Uh, (laughs) Full-blown paranormal activity. (laughs) And she has agreed to tell her story before we start, uh, well, or while we're getting our tattoos. I don't want to distract her too much. (laughs) But she was telling us some of the stuff that she's experienced. And it, it, wow. uh, Yeah, some of it is legit, like, goosebumpy, you know? Absolutely. And uh, again, if you would like to join us for the live Looped show, Choose Our Tattoos, you can uh, get your ticket now by going to theboxofoddities.com. And the link is right at the top of the page. And I think we still have a few meetings greets left they're not sold out yet they just went on sale a couple of days ago so mm-hmm. have at it you guys we uh we would love to see you the show is this coming sunday at 8 p.m eastern here in the u.s that's the 27th and again all the details are on our website theboxofoddities.com have you ever heard of the amber room the amber room the amber room is that where the Scientists extract the DNA to recreate the dinosaurs that for is Jurassic a, Park? That is a wonderful guess. Thank you. Wrong. Oh. But wonderful. The Amber Room is a chamber that was decorated in amber panels backed with gold leaf and mirrors and precious gems. That sounds really pretty. Yeah, it would be worth a lot of money today. It was considered to be the eighth wonder of the world. Oh. It was originally built in the 18th century in Prussia. But it had a bit of a journey in its in its lifetime. You know, we we all do. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying that uh, sometimes things happen to us, and we uh, 
come out the other side a little beaten and worn. Yeah. Well, in this case, it hasn't come out the other side. No one knows where it is. Oh, my. It's been missing for over 70 years. An entire room. According to History.com, the Amber Room dates back to 1701, when a German Baroque sculptor named Andreas Schluter began working on it. Schluter was the chief architect of the Prussian royal court. Now, they'd never used amber in decorations on this scale before, so they had to kind of invent a new way What he had to do was heat up the amber and then dip it in honey and linseed oil before he could work it into the panels of wood that were covered. Very clever, Schlutz. Way to go, Schlutzy. Amber was called at the time the gold of the north. Okay. And like you made a passing reference to its fossilized tree resin. And the Baltic region is known to have the greatest deposits of it. Now, his original plan was to uh, decorate the walls of one of the rooms at the uh, Charlottenburg Palace in Berlin. At the time, uh, Frederick I was the king of Prussia, and his wife, Queen Sophie Charlotte, resided there. And apparently the sky was the limit. They could spend whatever they wanted to because, you know, well, he was Frederick I, and um, he owned everything. Now, Peter the Great, the Russian czar at the time, was uh, visiting, and he fell in love with this room. So, um, <gasps> did he steal it? No, but Frederick Wilhelm the First, the son of the guy who had it built, gave it to Peter as a gift. Oh, so it was taken apart. It was packed up in boxes and uh, sent to uh, sent to Saint Petersburg uh, in seventeen fifty five. Peter the Great's daughter, Empress Elizabeth. Uh, relocated it to the Catherine Palace, which is right outside of St. Petersburg. It was there for many years. And while it was there, Russian, German, and Italian craftsmen continued to add to it. They added lots of lots more gold and gems, mm. covered more than 590 square feet. Six tons of amber that was is, used. That is a lot. It's and. A- and how do you clean that kind of material even? You'd have to have something that was really gentle and at the same time powerful. And I think that's why I love method cleaning products. <laughs> Working in product placement. My God. Method. Uh-huh. Get on board. Modern day estimates of its value put it as high as $330 million U.S. dollars. So the Amber Room stayed there through the 18th and the 19th centuries. It even survived the revolution in uh, 1917. But then in 1941, Hitler's forces closed in on St. Petersburg. Uh, At the time, it was Leningrad. The the head art curator took the precious Amber Room apart to prep it for safe removal Mm -hmm. to the east. But he, he was discovering while he was trying to take, the, take it off the wall that the amber panels were becoming brittle. So he believed that they'd be badly damaged if he removed them all. So his idea was just wallpaper over it and hope the Germans didn't notice. Nice. Yeah, that didn't work. Oh, no. No. Hitler was well aware of the amber room. In fact, that was one of the reasons he sent the troops to the palace. Within 36 hours, they stripped the panels from the wall, put them in crates, and sent them to Konigsberg in Germany. It's along the Baltic coast. 
The rooms were then reassembled in the Konigsberg Castle, and it was put on display for the German people to uh, to see uh, over the next two years. Look at what we stole. At that point, the war wasn't going so well for Hitler. Uh, he ordered all of the you know, looted possessions, all the art treasures that he had stolen, including the Amber Room, to be shipped out. But in 1944, the Royal Air Force heavily bombed Konigsberg, and the castle was destroyed. Now, the big question is, was the Amber Room evacuated in time, or was it blown to pieces in the bombing? So the Russians, they march into Germany, and they're there to pick up the Amber Room, but, you know, it's gone. And, and its final resting place is still a mystery. In May of 1945, the Soviet sent a guy, uh, his name was Professor Alexander Brusov, to uh, recover stolen artifacts. His theory is the most obvious one. His theory was that the Amber Room was destroyed in the bombings of World War II. And he even claimed to have found some remnants, some burnt remnants of the remains uh, in the basement, although they were never produced. Now, the guy who was in charge of keeping it safe, the wallpaper guy. Wallpaper guy. Yeah, he refused to believe this assessment. Uh, so with the support of the KGB, he had uh, Brusaw uh, removed and he started his own investigation. So over the years, there have been many theories. First of all, the wallpaper guy, he didn't want to believe that it had been destroyed because it was his fault that it got stolen. Right. So here are some of the theories that are out there. There are those that say that uh, they saw the Amber Room being packed and placed on board several different ships. One ship in particular, which was sunk in January of 1945 by a Soviet Marine. They found wreckage, and it's been explored many times, but they've not been able to find anything that would suggest the Amber Room had been on board that particular ship. Okay. Another theory was that uh, the looted art may have been hidden under the city in tunnels and chambers, but so far, they haven't discovered anything. Another theory was that it was hidden in old salt mines on the Czech border, or sunk in a lagoon in Lithuania, or even stripped down and sold off piece by piece to uh, foreign countries like the U.S. Some pretty weird theories, too. One is that Stalin had uh, put up a fake room that the Nazis stole, and uh, the real room is still there somewhere. Ooh, I like that. In 2004, an extensive research uh, investigation by British journalists Catherine Scott Clark and Adrian Levy uh, decided that probably the first guy was right, that it had been destroyed when the castle was bombed. Interestingly, for some reason, the Soviets ordered the destruction of the castle in 1968, and that effectively prevented anybody from further research on the Amber Room's last known location. That, that seemed suspicious to a lot of people. So trying to find the Amber Room's become an obsession for some people, and in a couple of cases, perhaps a deadly one. Ooh. A former German soldier whose name was George Stein spent most of his life looking for the Amber Room. He thought that maybe he was closing in on it, but he mysteriously ended up being murdered in a Bavarian forest in 1987. Well, that's a little suspicious. That's a little suspicious. He was disemboweled with a scalpel. Oh, no. Another guy, General Yuri Gusev, he was the deputy head of Russia's foreign intelligence unit. It was rumored that he was the source for a journalist that was investigating where the Amber Room was. 
He died in a mysterious car accident in 1992. In 1979, the Soviet government decided they would build a replica of it. Oh, I'm sorry, 1979. It took 24 years and $11 million to complete and install it in uh, Catherine Palace. But now, update, investigators think they have a strong lead and could have potentially found the Amber Room. <gasps> Just this past September, a shipwreck was discovered at the bottom of the Baltic Sea. It was a German steamer. Not, not, no. Um, the, the ship was sunk by the Royal Navy's HMS Truland in 1945. And according to the ship's official cargo documents, there were 360 tons of goods on board. It was used to evacuate Germans in what was called Operation Hannibal. The city of origin was Konigsberg. Aha. Uh -huh. The wreck has been reportedly relatively intact. They discovered military vehicles and several crates on board. The size and number of the crates could very well contain the looted remains of the lost amber room. The problem is the wreck is 88 meters beneath the surface or 290 feet, and it's uh, very cold and difficult to dive. One expert said, uh, quote, we focused only on the inventory, video shooting and photographic documentation at this point. They have no idea when the mysterious cargo could be recovered. The process is being discussed with the maritime office in Poland, and they are the ones that will make the final decision. Hmm. So that would be cool. Well, yeah. So what about this? There were rumors that the Russians had created a fake amber room mm -hmm. and that that's what the Germans stole by mistake. Right. And then in 1979, they decide they're going to make a fake amber room. Maybe it's the real amber room. Oh. And they're calling it fake because they don't want anybody to steal it. That's a very interesting theory. Or it's at the bottom of the Baltic. We, we just don't know. Maybe we've been watching too many heist movies lately. <laughs> we certainly have. <laughs> the Italian job was great. <laughs> My source material came from History.com, Wikipedia, Live Science, and the Daily Mail. The Amber Room. That was way fun. And now, that thing in the middle. The most polluted city in the world is Beijing. It causes not only lower birth rates but higher adult mortality from respiratory-related diseases. In fact, lung cancer rates have risen over 60% in the last decade, although smoking has not increased. It's so bad, in fact, that a video screen of a blue sky was set up to remind people what the sky should look like. If you were stranded on a desert island and had to spend the rest of your life with either Cat or Jethro, who would you choose? It'll be just between you and the curator. I promise. This is The Box of Oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. 
And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura frames, and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's a-U-R-A frames.com. Use code oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A frames.com and use code oddities at checkout. And you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to listen to the Box of Oddities ad-free? Of course you do. Go to patreon.com slash box of oddities. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Amanda sent this email. Hello, lovely people. Firstly, let me say how much I love your work. Mm -hmm. I love it when people refer to what we do as work. <laughs> um, I listen not only to your fascinating content, but for all the warm, humorous ways in which you deliver it. I always look forward to the next episode with bated breath. Whatever that is, ew. I was listening to your episode where you discuss the names and origins of measurements, and it got me wondering if I could add to the list. We have an expression that may just be Australian. It might just be an Australian thing. Uh, you probably wouldn't find it in any scientific journal. When referring to a close call, 
or a tiny amount of distance or distance, we refer to it as a bee's dick. <laughs> For example, that car came out of nowhere and missed me by a bee's dick. Or it was a close finish, only a bee's dick in it. Anyway, I hope this is as educational to you as your podcast is to me. Love and best wishes from Sydney, Australia, Amanda. I love that. A bee's dick. I'm working that in my conversation. Probably by this afternoon. <laughs> I have no doubt. And while I'm plotting my strategy, what you got for me? Well, it's interesting that a bee's dick came up uh, because Leah had reached out and suggested that we talk about animal reproductive facts. Oh, and <laughs> weird. <laughs> so I was like, okay. Now, I know some of these types of things we've touched on before, but I'm hoping that I was able to recall uh, which ones we had and which ones we hadn't and weed them out. And I basically, I hope I do good. Mm -hmm. mm. Um, did you know that a chipmunk pregnancy can last only 31 days? I did not know that. Yeah, and a chipmunk can start breeding as early as three months after their own birth. Holy crap. So there's, it's no wonder that we are inundated with chipmunks because they get it done. Yeah, we were sitting on our deck the other night and uh, it was like a cacophony of chipmunk squeaks. Yes. It was like some sort, I don't know what they were trying to uh, <laughs> communicate, but it seemed important. On the opposite end of the spectrum, elephants have the longest pregnancy of any mammal. An African elephant stays pregnant for 22 months. Oh, God. And getting there is a little different. So the elephant penis is so huge that the males can rest on it like it's a fifth leg. <laughs> wow. I did not know that. I did know that... Um a blue whale's penis is the size of a telephone pole. <laughs> that I did know. Well, when erect, an elephant's penis can weigh about 66 pounds. It can be more than three feet long. And prepare yourself. It is prehensile. Oh, God. So it can be used for scratching an itch sure. or, yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever, yeah. I guess. Yep. Refinishing a desk. Sure. Female elephants have super long reproductive tracts. They're nearly 10 feet from start to finish. Wow. And the vagina doesn't even begin until about four and a half feet in. So oh when God. the male elephant, like, is, yeah. you know, you know, mm. um, he's not even getting to her vagina. No. Really? <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, just, they shit. just have to kind of cross their... Fingers penises and yeah. hope that everything gets where it should. And speaking of penises. Yes, which we often do. <laughs> the Neotrogla is an insect. It lives in Brazilian caves. And there are four species of the Neotrogla. And all four of those species, the females have the penises. The females are equipped with spiny penis-like genitalia mm. called gynosomes, which they use to penetrate the male. And then the insects will mate for about 70 hours. Holy crap. Yeah. Talk about chafing. If the two are separated during copulation, the male's insides will be ripped out oh. and the female stays intact. So, so really the guy has no choice. That's, it's not a great setup. No. Really. No. no. It seems like it's fraught with error. We've discussed before the situation with bees. We've all heard that bees, you know, when they are mating, in theory, they 
get in there. With a bee's dick. That's right, with a bee's dick. And then when separating from the female, their their ween stays inside hmm. and then they die, right? We've, we've all heard that. Right, that's the price. And then the thought is that that ween stays in there to block other bees' sperm from getting in. But that's not correct. In fact, the next bee uh, will actually remove the uh, the plug yeah. from the last bee that lost his life and get on in there as well. I wonder if they know that they're going to lose their dick and then they're going to die. I don't know. I mean, how good is that sex? It must be amazing. I, I, who knows? That's a, that's a stiff price to pay. Oh, wow. Bee's dick. The next bee will do the same thing, lose his wiener, die. The next bee will do the same thing, pull out that old wiener, put his wiener in, and die over and over again. Um, And the female just kind of stores the sperm in there and then distributes it as she needs over her lifetime. Really? Yeah. That's fascinating. In some cases, in some species, when multiple males have mated with the queen, the sperm sperm themselves wage a war inside of her <laughs> to see who is the strongest. Wow. Yeah. wonder if they have like little suits of armor. See, that's that's a cute thought. I pictured them like doing a, a bird-like mating dance. Okay, sure. Like, ah, I'm bigger than you. Ah. But I don't, I don't know how that would, they have to buy a cloak or something. Sure. Yeah. yeah. But that's more practical than a suit of armor. Sure. Probably more comfortable for the queen, too. Quieter, too. Yeah. Yeah. So the two major factors in sperm size include the length and size of the female reproductive tract and how many partners she will have. And that's why a mouse sperm is actually larger than an elephant sperm. Shut up. I will not. The deer mouse has sperm equipped with small hooks that help them clump together in groups of sperm to fight their way to the egg. Now, grouping allows the sperm to swim in a straighter line to the egg. I guess there is an ideal number of sperm. How this is known, I do not understand. (laughs) But the number is seven. Uh, Too many sperm clumped together will eventually start working against each other. I imagine it's like one of those three-legged races at a picnic (laughs) where it's like, now there's another person whose leg is in here? This is ridiculous. (laughs) Seven is the optimum number of sperm. Wow. Yeah. Like like twelve is the optimum number of uh, limes to display on a centerpiece. It's lemons. Oh, damn it! It was I, citrus I'm and hanging a weird in number. Yeah, it was a number, and it had citrus in it. So thanks, there you Jennifer go. Aniston and Vince Vaughn in that movie about them breaking up that was really uncomfortable. Is that where you learned that? Yeah. <laughs> I knew it. I get most of the information that I use to guide my life from uh, Vince Vaughn movies. <laughs> Watch Queen Pins Summer 2021. And listen for our voices in it. You have to listen hard. (laughs) Real hard. Real hard, but we're there. Talking about a lot of sperm. Yeah. There are some spiders who are able to choose which sperm they want. Now, you might say, well, don't a lot of species like choose the partner that they want? That's why there's those suit of armor dances and stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, Yes, they choose the partner that they want, but in this case, the spider chooses the sperm that they want. They're able to differentiate? They practice something called sperm dumping. 
basically, they mate, but the sperm doesn't flow directly into their reproductive organs. It goes into a sac, which later she can kind of sort through and be like, oh, no, I don't want this one. This one's awful. Ugh, what was this guy thinking? Yeah. I guess not. Anyway, uh, so then she'll uh, she'll choose the ones that she wants to get all up in there uh, mm. in order to conceive. It's thought that that is so that the species of spider can uh, mate with multiple males during a period of fertility um, without the worry that maybe she's not picking exactly the right one the first time. Like she can mm. she can just try a bunch out. And, really? Yeah. And then be like, oh, yeah, that fifth one was really the winner. Yeah. It's kind of like a box of chocolates. Yeah. Where I just uh, flip them over, poke out the bottom to see what's inside, and then put it back in the box. Exactly like that. Because I like the truffly ones. The strawberry ones are awful. They're the worst. Anyway, male alligators spend their entire lives with an erection. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah. I, and... I'm, I'm beginning to think you're just making shit up. Nope. Uh, according to National Geographic, they don't have to listen to that four-hour rule about boners. Um, and they have this... Um, Wiener that kind of shoots out like toothpaste from a tube, but then it bounces back because it has like a, a fleshy rubber band attached to it. Really? So they shoot it out yeah. and then whoop, build it back in. Whoop, 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 whoop. Um, and that's how alligator wieners work. <laughs> so... So there you go. Now, we all know that there are many species that engage in an elaborate courtship where there are sometimes dances and sometimes the males will bring the females gifts. Right, right. And sometimes there are Ferraris involved, you know. Um, <laughs> but in the case of the porcupines, it, there is a, a courtship indeed. But once a male has been selected and it's time for him to get his lady in the mood, he sprays her with pee. Really? That's how they get going. Wow. Yeah. It's go time. <laughs> no kink shaming here. No, absolutely I mean, not. Not my thing, but hey, whatever. Whatever floats right. you. As long as the porcupines are consenting. That's right. And you lay down a tarp or something. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, there's some fun reproductive facts for you. Thank you so much to Leah for suggesting this. Wow. That's interesting and alarming. Mm. Yeah. The whole bee penis thing. Just wow. Yeah. That's crazy. It reminds me of the dream that I had last night. <laughs> Cat had a weird sex dream last night. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Okay. All right. Maybe we'll reveal that sex dream in a bonus episode on Patreon. And you have to be a member to hear her sex dream. I'll bet you we get a lot of new sponsors. I don't think anyone wants to hear this, sweetheart. <laughs> okay. I'm, we'll just delete that. Had to give it a try. <laughs> So this Sunday, 8 o'clock Eastern U.S. time, it's uh, the You Choose Our Tattoos show live. We're going to be uh, doing our regular show while getting a tattoo that, that you guys choose for us. And we'll be at a tattoo shop. That's, that's and, and we'll be doing live. Yeah. And it, it, it's haunted. Haunted. Yeah. yeah. Boy, it's all coming together for us. So it's isn't not it? a regular show in no, any way. No, no. Well, we'll be telling stories. Yep. But yeah, we'll be doing it in a haunted location, uh, getting jabbed and ink stuck in our skin. <laughs> getting zappy zapped. Tickets are available right now, theboxofoddities.com. Join us, won't you? 
And we'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you. To provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2021. All rights reserved. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story, its unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts.